So lower your bar now. Lower it now. Got my notes here. Got my, uh, if it was caffeinated, it'd be a 10-minute sermon, so it's going to decaf, so you get about a half hour. So it's uh, really great to be here. Uh, yeah, Adam, as, as Adam was saying, we grew up here. We went to youth group here. We had a lock-in, went to lock-ins downstairs. I was baptized back there when I was maybe 12 or so. Uh, and so it's a really cool, like a full circle feeling being back here. I can't imagine what it's like for Adam uh, having this B family church. That's super cool. Uh, so thanks to Adam for having us here. Thanks to you guys for having me here. I'm still learning. Uh, and so that learning is happening at your expense. So, so thank you for that. And thanks for letting me be vulnerable and sharing on things that while I have some expertise in, I'm still not a, a, an expert at. And, uh, you know, I just I want to be vulnerable and, and kind of share where I'm at, share kind of my story. And I hope that it blesses you. And as Adam was saying, Olivia and I have been in, in worship and in church leadership for many years. We lead a, a worship team, one of the worship teams at Vineyard Church of Delaware County. That's in Sunbury. And we're also home group leaders. And we've been in church leadership for a number of years, but but most of that has been in, in worship. And so uh, Adam had been noodling on kind of putting together some sort of a worship seminar so that we could come down and share some of the things that we we learned through the years. Uh, and it was a great seminar. It went really well. Let me say out of the gate, you've got a great worship team here. You have people with hearts who want to serve Jesus. Um, and that's kind of a leg up on some churches. i got to be honest. We've worked with a lot of worship teams, and some people just want to be in a band. Some people just want a gig, and church is their gig. right? They want to play music. Uh, but you have a team here of people who really want to lead the congregation in worship. They know what that means. Uh, you've also got a leg up in Pastor Adam. Pastor Adam understands what it's like to worship. Some pastors will tell their teams, make it happen. Give me three songs and I'll preach, or four songs and I'll preach. Uh, and so to have a pastor that understands worship, where worship's important, he understands what it means, what it means to the body, uh, that's a big deal. And so yesterday we covered in the seminar lots of stuff. We covered really practical stuff like what songs to pick, what keys should those songs be in, uh, what the theme of the set should be. Uh, we talked about some, some more complex stuff like having our lives in order, not bringing baggage onto the stage, understanding the responsibility that we have when we lead others into worship. So we covered some pretty dense themes and some pretty easy topics. So if we could shoot a slide on the stage, I just want to cover, kind of catch everybody else up on things that we covered. Uh, so I got some quotes and some, and some topics here. So we talked about how Christian worship is nothing less than an invitation to participate in the life of the triune God. That's James K.A. Smith. We talked about how Jesus is the worship leader how his death and resurrection brings us into the presence of God. That's in uh, Hebrews 9 and 10. We talked about how when Jesus died, the most holy place was open to us at the death of Christ when the veil of the temple was torn in two. That's a quote from John Frame. We also talked about a few analogies. You know, what, what is it like to lead worship? What is that like? Um, and and uh, Olivia had shared a vision she had some time ago, and I've heard this, this story before. There's kind of an analogy of like a, a running, like a person pacing in a race. Does anybody here run in like a, a long distance race, like a half marathon or a marathon? Danielle, she's a runner. Yeah. Uh, well, I, believe it or not, I've actually, I, I don't want to say I've run in those races. I have been in those races. I have finished. As you can tell from my physique, it ain't common. Doesn't happen a lot. Uh, but I've actually been in those races, and what they have, uh, they'll have these pace people. And so they'll, like, have a big flag or a big banner. And what they'll say is, if you want to finish the half marathon or the marathon in this time, follow me. Go with me. I will be a 10-minute mile person or a 6-minute mile person. They have all these different people. And they're saying, run with me. Run with me. We're going to do it. And as long as you stay with that person, it's amazing how well they do it. They finish the race in pretty much that time. 
It's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah. And they have a big flag, which is really helpful if you're like me and you're, you wanted to stay up with that person, but they're kind of disappearing in the distance. So you have a, you can still see where they are for a while. You lose them eventually. I'll never forget watching the extremely elderly lady uh, who beat me uh, as we were running. I mean really elderly. Like, no one in here needs to be offended because way older than anyone here by a lot. Uh, so, but it just happens, it happens. Uh, but, but guys, worship teams are like that. That's our job. We're the pace people. So what we're saying is, follow me, follow me, follow me. We're going to Jesus. And then our job is to get out of the way and let the congregation go straight through to the cross. That's a big responsibility. And we also talked about how uh, Jesus talked about worship. He said in John 4.23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are kind, the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. It's a pretty heavy, pretty heavy mandate there. Now, each one of those quotes, each one of these verses, all these could be a sermon on their own. They actually are sermons. And I don't know about you, but some of those feel a little bit like a challenge as a worshiper. They feel, sometimes those don't feel exactly like my perspective. I don't necessarily hear, hear all those quotes and verses and think, oh yeah, that's me, that's totally me. Uh, and I'm especially challenged by that John 4.23 piece in worshiping and in spirit and truth and being a worshiper that the Father is seeking. And you might know that that actually came from uh, something Jesus said in response to the woman at the well. They were talking about you know, Jews worship here and Samaritans worship there. And Jesus was talking about how geography really isn't going to matter when, uh, thanks to him coming. But another thing that he was getting at is that we're to worship with our, our heads and our hearts. So when you hear spirit and truth, think, think your head and your heart or your heart and your head. And I know we've also heard a lot of verses and, and scriptures and about kind of worship as a, as a lifelong thing, or everything you do, your life is an act of worship. So worship's a huge topic. We could pick a lot in there. But today, I just want to focus really on worship in church, singing worship songs in church like we just did. And as Pastor Adam and I were kind of discussing the sermon for the week, and we talked about how let's just keep the worship theme going. And my original thoughts had to do on different facets of worship. I was thinking about something different, but I feel like the Holy Spirit was putting on me, you know, we need to talk about burdens, uh, barriers, let's say barriers to worship. Things that get in the way of our worshiping freely, worshiping with abandon, worshiping with our heads and our hearts, worshiping in spirit and in truth. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll invite God's presence, and then we'll dig right in. I'll give you a quick three-pointer. This one should be a, a good one. And I like this topic. So if anybody falls asleep, I'm watching. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thanks for meeting with us. Thanks for meeting with us. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for forgiving us. Thanks for always being at the door knocking. Always, always. You've never left us. We leave you all the time, but you have never been unfaithful to us. Lord, I just ask that you would have your way in this, in this talk. I just pray that you would keep me from saying anything I shouldn't. I pray that you would anoint the words that I say. I pray, Lord, that you would work through me, and if necessary, in spite of me, that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So point number one is this. God designed worship. Worship happens without us. So let me start with a confession. I don't often think of worship like I should. I'm a worship leader, uh, and I often don't think of worship as I should. I think of it a lot of different ways, but the one that comes fastest to me probably is how my kids think about sleep or how they used to think about sleep when they were younger, or nap times. Something like, sleep is good, but you're pushing it on me. Right? It's not my idea, it's your idea. 
when I was 12, when I was a teenager in this church, I remember saying things to my dad who's actually here. That's your idea, Dad. That's your idea. That's not my idea. That's being pushed on me. And so bedtime, anybody have bedtime arguments with their children? Yeah. I don't need it. That's your idea. Sleeping's your thing. Right? And sometimes I think about worship that way. I'll say, well, singing songs is good in church, but that's somebody else's idea that they're pushing on me. Right? Somebody came up with a great idea to sing worship songs, but it's not really my thing. It's their thing. Right? Or if I take the sleep analogy further, sometimes I'll say, I'll think about sleep, I uh, think about worship the way I think about sleep personally. I'll say something like, I like to get sleep, but if I'm doing something I really like, I'm fine to skip it. Right? Sleep's my thing. Sleep's not your thing. Sleep's my thing. I decide if it's a value. I decide whether or not I want to do it. I'm fine to, to sacrifice my sleep for something I want to do. And I'll do that with worship, right? I wasn't into the music this morning, or I'll decide if I want to worship this morning. It's kind of a case-by-case basis. I'm kind of the consumer, and I'll decide if I want worship to, to work for me or not. Uh, I, I, I've been guilty of saying, yeah, I really wasn't into the worship this morning. And that's kind of a dangerous statement. We'll call inve- kind of investigate why that is. Uh, but the truth is this. God designed worship like he designed sleep. It's his thing, right? And no matter how much you might say, I'm in control of my sleep, or no matter how much my children might tell me that sleep is like a conspiracy, nap times are a global conspiracy, uh, God designed sleep. We've been perfectly designed to sleep. And no matter how much you fight it, at some point your body's going to shut down and you're going to fall asleep. And you've been perfectly designed, so your heart's going to keep beating, your lungs are going to keep pumping air, but you're going to sleep. And God designed worship the same way, right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen with you or without you. We want it to happen with us, right? But he set a model for us, and we can look at that. He even set a model for sleep, right? He rested after each day of creation. He shows us that rest is cool, and he shows us that worship is a big deal, So we're going to look at some verses. We're going to look in Revelation, which is not necessarily where you do your daily devotions from, probably. You have a little daily bread and say, hold of breath number five, hold of breath number six, right? You don't don't have that. But one thing Revelation does is full of symbolism, and and it's it's not a book that's an easy read, but there is a couple things in Revelation that kind of happen nowhere else. And Revelation gives us visibility into what's happening in the heavenly realms that we don't get to see in other places in the Scripture. So listen to this. This is what's happening right now in heaven. And as far as we can tell, it's always been happening in heaven and always will happen in heaven. So this is Revelation 4, 6 through 11. I'll read off my page here. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. My page is mixed up here. I think we have a little bit more to that verse, do we not? See, this is a rookie mistake. 
should have had all that put together. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Is that what you have up there? All right, good. I'm still messed up, so I'm going to pick pages at random, what <laughs> it looks like. But just a couple of key things here. Let's keep this in mind. First off, this is God's idea. This is his thing. This is happening in the heavenlies. It's got nothing to do with us. We didn't imagine and couldn't imagine those creatures. We couldn't have imagined those elders. We couldn't have imagined the words that they're saying. This stuff is happening because it's God's design. It's his authorship. Notice also that it's happening forever. The worship is never ending. It apparently can't be said enough ever. And it apparently has to happen. Right? So let's look at the, uh, another verse. This is about the rocks crying out. This is in Luke 19, 36 through 40. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So again, this is showing us God designed worship. It's going to take place with or without us. At that point, that triumphal entry, this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He was saying, listen, it's going to happen. It's, the rocks will do it if you don't do it. Right? So we know worship is going to take place without us, but we want it to take, take place with us and from us. And that's point number two. God desires our worship. Although it happens without us, it should also come from us. And I think it's safe to say that we all get to a place where we encounter our limitations, right? We realize that we need to worship someone or something. Adam and I were just talking before the service, and I was sharing that the older I get, the more I realize I'm all limitations. When I was younger, when I was that kid getting baptized up here, I probably didn't think about limitations. Now, I'm fully aware. I'm fully aware of my limitations. And I think they, I realize them more as I get older every day. And that, that can be a good thing. I think there's wisdom that comes with that because it starts pointing us, pointing us to God, helping us realize that, you know, when Jesus said you can do nothing without me, he was serious, right? We need him. So that brings us to, to point number two about God desiring our worship, and then it should come from us. And we're wired to worship. We're already familiar with worship. We already exalt and magnify. We celebrate. We lift up. We encounter, we interface with intimacy. So we already do worship. I don't know if any of those words sounded like you. And I, I confess, I don't think all those words really sound like me until I start thinking about the places where I actually worship. So let's show some pictures here real quick. All right, so this is a concert. This is thousands of people having a shared, highly emotional experience. Some people are even brought to tears with hands raised, like that little guy there. So are you guys familiar with Hillsong? Like the big worship, they have huge worship group, and they have these awesome worship concerts. I'd love to tell you that's Hillsong. That's a Hillsong concert, but it's not. It's Coldplay. That's a Coldplay concert. Coldplay is a rock and roll band, a, a, a current pop band. And this actually made a ton of press because this little guy is on the autism spectrum, so he doesn't show emotion hardly ever. But during Coldplay's song, Fix You, he busted out into tears. And so, yeah, Coldplay was pretty, pretty honored, right? And this made the national news. This happened two years ago at a Coldplay concert. So we're kind of wired for this stuff. 
maybe that doesn't hit as much home. Let's go to another one. This one will hit home. Yeah, there we go. There we go. 100,000 screaming fans, right? At an Ohio State football game. They're unified in celebrating and lifting up. This stuff is, is more natural than we think. And I'm not bringing up these slides. I'm not showing you these to say, well, look how enthusiastic we can be about sports and concerts, but we can't seem to do it about worship. But I am saying, this is more natural than we give it credit for. We already do this stuff, right? We already do this kind of thing. What we need now is to realize that this stuff belongs to be, to be given to God as well. And, and I think we'll find that it's natural in our Christian walk that the Holy Spirit, who's in us, will well up at times. And we'll just worship, right? You might, you might be overcome at some point with just a sense of gratitude, right? You might just be driving your car and think, wow, God is really good, right? Or, or maybe uh, uh, it could be gratitude. It could be just a sense of his peace. It could be a lot of different things. But that's, that's the Holy Spirit in us bearing witness to himself, right? That's the same thing that we've been wired with that God has built in us uh, as we have uh, accepted Christ and live in him. And this just happened to me. I was almost in a car accident a couple weeks ago. I was driving down 71. Um, I know I probably wasn't paying attention as much as I should have, but I also know the guy in front of me had a real issue with his brake pedal, just hammered it. Uh, I'm not sure if I even saw brake lights, but I had to swerve, lost control of my car. I was kind of doing that overcompensating thing where you're kind of wobbling back and forth trying to get straight again. And before I could even assess what happened, before I even thought anything, I just had this welling up in me like, God just saved me. God just saved me. He just... He just protected me from something that could have been really bad, right? And so that sensation, that feeling of worship, of gratitude, of peace that comes from within us at random times, if you haven't felt that, if you haven't experienced that, or if you haven't experienced it for a long time, I want to encourage you, come up and, and let's pray when we sing this last song. I, I encourage you, that should be a natural part of your Christian existence. In your, in your Christian walk, you should at some point, even random points, feel like, Wow, I just connected with the Father. I just connected with Jesus. You should be feeling that. And, and a, a major place to feel that is in worship. When we worship, God is calling us to himself. That's what's happening. We're getting to participate in that same activity that those creatures and elders are doing. We're getting roped into that very same activity where we're able to participate in that. And that brings me to point three. And that is that we have to expect that God is going to respond to our worship. He moves and he works as we worship him. And I think we all like Psalm 22.3, or a lot of us have probably heard that. Have you heard that? Uh, I'm paraphrasing here. God inhabits the praises of his people. You guys heard that verse? Does it sound familiar? It made us some. There's a, a few different versions of it because the wording isn't perfect between the Hebrew and, and English. So New American Standard says, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. King James says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Holman Christian Standard was kind of the hot new, I guess NIV or whatever that is, and the hot new version says, But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And, and so the wording isn't quite perfect because the, the wording is that enthroning or inhabiting kind of means getting right in the middle of it, kind of sitting on it as judge. And so there's a literal Japanese translation that I think is perfect. It says, when we worship, God brings a big chair and sits there right in the middle of it. Right? That's what's happening. And that's what the Hebrew is actually trying to, to say to us. It's just kind of hard to get the words right. 
So God is sitting right in the middle of it, sitting as judge over our worship. He's really showing up. He's really inhabiting our praises. And worship isn't just giving to God, right? It's not an issue of our attitude. We're not just giving to God and and kind of giving him his due. That is part of it. But it's an encounter with God. It's an encounter with the Trinity. God is responding. There's a mutual worshiping that's taking place, a mutual meeting. There's There's an interchange that's taking place as we worship. And God's giving us a lot as we worship. He's depositing his character in us. He's giving us gifts of faith. He's giving us gifts of peace. Sometimes that might be a prophetic word or a a picture. We're building community as a people when we worship him together. And in the Bible and in countless testimonies, we see that God's moving is often happening as a response to our worship. So we worship and then awesome things happen. The Bible has a lot of these examples. In fact, you'll see in your Bible phrases that start with, while they were worshiping, dot, dot, dot. While they were praying, dot, dot, dot. That's when things happen. And so let's look at Acts 16. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. So back then, if you were a jailer and you blew that one critical thing, you, were, you weren't anything. They ended you. You're no longer a jailer or anything else. But Paul shout, shouted, don't, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're not leaving. So the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So this is a story where it's one of those while they were worshiping, while they were singing. And so we have countless examples of that in the scriptures. And I can speak personally to that. You know, I, I, I personally can tell you that God has given me words or pictures or encouragement while worshiping. I've seen healing break out over a congregation while worshiping. Um, just people being healed because they're worshiping, because the Lord is moving during that time. Uh, I, I can tell you that I felt peace, God's peace. I felt his presence while worshiping. I think a lot of us can, can say that we felt that. And I don't want to underplay the value of excellence in worship. And that's one thing we talked about yesterday in that seminar. Uh, I don't want to underplay it. It's important that these guys be the masters of their crafts and they work on it. Right? Their goal is to serve you by being better musicians and better worship leaders, by taking their responsibility seriously. At the same time, God does what God wants to do, and he's going to show up. And I can tell you that the music was good this morning, but I've been to churches where the music was really, really not so good, and God still showed up. And people were still really worshiping, right? Because it's an issue of our heart. It's, it's us. It's not the music. We're not the consumers. We're just participating in God's activities. So, What do we do? How do we bring this home? How do we acknowledge that God designed worship, that it's his deal, that he desires our worship, he wants it to come from us too, 
and that he's going to respond to us when we worship him. And I would argue that it starts with our changing our focus from us to him. Just like, just like when we, you know, you might uh, be in a place where the music's not great, but people are still worshiping with abandon. Right? Or just like when you come in and you bring a bunch of baggage with you and you decide, I'm just going to lay this down at the cross. I'm going to worship God because I want to worship in spirit and in truth. I want to I sing for what he's done, for who he is. And I think we can get really practical with this. I think sometimes we, at least for me, I've often said, oh, well, they're, they're a worshiper. You know, they're just kind of wired that way. It's really, they're kind of an emotional person. They can really get engaged and involved in worship. But that's not really me. But I would argue that's, that's not really true. We're, we're all that. We're all wired that way. Right? And I can also say that when I'm fully worshiping, when I really am worshiping, I'm bawling like a baby. I can't even lead a team. I'm just crying. I can't sing. I can't speak. Uh, and so there is a balance up here. There's a balance between trying to play the music and trying to worship as well. But what we wanted to do yesterday was say, these guys are the lead worshipers of the church. That's what they are. They're the example setters. And so we want to do that. And we can get really practical, as I was saying before. We can tell ourselves, literally tell ourselves, to worship the Lord. This is an example that David set, which is cool, because David is the author of most of the Psalms. So pretty much every worship song you hear probably came from David in the Psalms. In fact, the, the excerpt we're going to read here, there's at least five worship songs in the first so many lines. That's not always true. I don't think like the John Mark McMillan with like the hurricane and the tree and the... I don't think that's in there. So there are some, there are some that are a little loftier in, in lyrics. But Psalm, the Psalms, most of our worship comes out of there. Right? So, so David's the expert. And listen to what David is saying. Psalm 103, right from the beginning. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So, so what David is doing there is he's actually telling himself, no, we need to get serious about this. Praise the Lord, my soul. It's not, it's not a lyric to sound cool. He's literally telling himself to do it. And I've started this practice in worship. I start now. Uh, I found myself when I would go to church that I wouldn't warm up until like the second or third song. I'd bring in a bunch of baggage, beat up from the week, and first couple songs, I wouldn't put my hands in the air. I'd just kind of like, uh, you know, I'm here. And then maybe by the third or fourth song, I might warm up. And I started realizing that my coldness is, is my lack of submitting to praising God, to worshiping God in spirit and in truth with my head and my heart. And so I've, I, I go into church now, and I have kind of a Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2 thing in my mind now. So I say, I'm going to worship the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now look what David is doing, starting with verse 3. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He's made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You guys hearing some of those worship songs in there? Yeah. It's just one psalm. 
but most of our worship is coming from the Psalms. And so we can take some real comfort in the fact that David, the worshiper in the Old Testament, started out by saying, man, I got I to gotta change my mind about this thing. I got to change my heart. I got to tell my soul to worship. And we can have that same approach. And when we do that, David is worshiping in truth here. He's telling in the psalm, look what God does. Look who he is. Look what he has done for us. Look what he's promised. And when we do that, we end up worshiping in spirit. Because what happens is we start becoming emotionally engaged. You can't come into a worship service and, and start singing those words. If you take those things to heart, you can't not start getting emotionally engaged. You, you, you basically start taking those stories and taking those promises, taking the things that he's done for you, and they, you start singing from your heart. So we have to commit to being emotionally engaged. We have to commit to being vulnerable. We have to commit to singing out from the deepest parts of who we are. And I think it's also helpful, in addition to kind of telling my soul to worship, telling my soul to praise God's name, to, to look at the lyrics of the songs that we're singing. So another thing we talked about yesterday is we need to make sure that Jesus' name is in the songs in the set. You might go into a church service, uh, and we've heard this from, from folks, Jesus' name never even came up, right? Or there was like a maybe a, a group of songs where it was really praise-oriented, like, how cool is it to be God's people? But there wasn't anything about who God really is. We weren't really participating in that same activity that those creatures and those elders are participating in. Where we're saying you're so holy, you're so worthy. And to be honest, the songs up here, this is the theology of the church. This is, this is the, the theology, right? People aren't going to remember sermons necessarily like they remember the music. No offense, Pastor Adam. Right? They're going to remember the music. Your kids are going to remember the music. Right? So the songs are the theology of the church. It's a big deal. And so we sang some pretty great songs this morning. Those lyrics are strong. And we're going to kind of end with a little bit of a clinical here. I don't know if we're at a half hour yet. I probably have a little bit of time. So we're going to sing one last song. And we're going to sing uh, Cornerstone, which is a song that's been famous, made famous, I think, by Hillsong. Uh, and I just want to read these lyrics through. Just, let's just listen to these lyrics. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. That's truth. That's truth. And if we can sing that, if we can tell our souls, I am going to sing that like I know that it's true, we'll find ourselves interfacing with God. We will find him meet with us when we come to meet with him. As I prayed a little earlier, it's never him. He's always knocking. He's always knocking and waiting. It's us, right? It's our coldness. It's our, it's our callousness. It's our inability to, to, to say, all right, I give in. I give in. And that's what we want to do when we worship. So let me have the worship team come on up here. We're going to sing Cornerstone. And I want to do, we'll be just a little bit clinical here because we're going to try and first tell our souls that we're going to worship his holy name. So we're going to take a Psalm 103 David approach. I'll lead us in a prayer to do that. And then we're going to sing Cornerstone. 
And when we do, we're going to try and reflect on the lyrics of those songs because they're truth. And we're going to try and sing that truth from our hearts. And we're going to ask the Lord to meet with us. Does that make sense? All right, so it's a little clinical, maybe not how we normally end the, with the last song. But let's do that. I'm going I'm to just lead with a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, we say that we need you. We thank you that you set an example of worship. We thank you that worship is not someone else's idea and it's not our idea, it's your idea. We thank you that the scriptures are very clear on how holy and how good you are, that you cannot ever be worshipped enough. And that creatures far beyond our understanding are regularly, continually, all day, every day, all the time worshipping you. And Lord, we're honored that we get to be part of that, that story, that activity. We thank you that we have the opportunity to interface with you because of what Jesus did. There's no longer a high priest who carries those requests and carries that interface, but that we can interface directly with you. That we can speak and know and be known by the God of the universe. That we can speak with you and meet with you. Lord Jesus, right now, we just tell our souls, each one of us, to worship you. Lord, we lay our baggage down. We lay down the, the stuff that we're dealing with, the emotional issues, our family issues, our work issues, our financial troubles, anything that we're dealing with, God. We lay that down and we say, you are God over all. And we tell our souls that we are going to worship you.